All right, back on the Young Turks. We got two great guests for you guys in this half hour. Uh, up next will be Lee Fong. He's got a story about how the right wing pay activists to, uh, to pretend that they're standing up for Native Americans and African Americans. Uh, it's an unbelievable story, so don't miss that. And then in the post game, uh, we're gonna uh, get a little goofy. We're gonna talk about cats. Okay, both the musical <laughs> and the actual cats. And I'm gonna try to give my cat away. So, uh, <laughs> members, get ready for that. Kiki cats coming in your direction. Okay, so that's fun stuff. Uh, but I find politics and activism super fun as well. So let's get into that. Joining me now is Reggie Hubbard. He's the congressional liaison and DC strategist for Move On. They recently did a campaign to close the camps. Uh, 175 uh, protests across the country. That is amazing. So, Reggie, welcome to the show. I want to know uh, how you guys did it. So, one of the beautiful things is that we have a beat on the pulse of the grassroots. You know, we're in touch with millions of members on a regular basis and a subset of those members on a daily basis. And so, when we put the call out on the 27th of July, Saying we need to stand up, um, the people heeded the call, and we came out in force. You know, 175 events in over 40 places, essentially laying the blame at the feet of Congress, being like, you know, we're not helpless here. You can help us with this by doing your job and closing these camps. So, okay, there's so many things to dissect there. First of all, when you talk about Congress, uh, Pelosi seems to have given, uh, and to be fair to Pelosi, Schumer even more so, uh, a blank check to, to Trump on these detention centers. Uh, and when the four justice Democrats uh, criticized them on it, they took it very, very personally. Right. Um, so w what's your take on that? Because a lot of groups in Washington think that you should have an inside game and not criticize Democratic leadership. You guys seem to have done the opposite here. Um, we, we have a, a strategy basically where we call, we're calling on Congress to defund hate. So defund ICE, defund CBP, and hold them accountable for what they're doing. Uh, we choose not to take our arguments all the way out in the press. We take them behind closed doors. Um, but we stand firm with our colleagues that do call people out um, in the front. All right, well, that's that's good to hear. Um, so, and, and if you guys don't know, uh, Move On is the largest uh, uh, progressive organization out there uh, based on mailing lists, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's important when Move On weighs in on something. Now, let, I, let's talk about uh, logistics. I know it's a kind of a funny yeah. thing to ask about and to get excited about. But right. how did you guys get protests in 175 different locations? Well, in full disclosure, I'm a former advanced man, so logistics, I could talk about that all day. And I actually met you in 2016 at one of Bernie, I was Bernie, one of Bernie's uh, senior producers. So logistics are my are my mainstay. Mm -hmm. um, so we basically, you know, we just put the word out. And, you know, about a year ago, almost a year ago to the day, we had Families Belong Together protests uh, nationwide, about 750 uh, and marches in the streets in Washington, D.C. when we first learned about the atrocities of uh the family detention crisis. And basically, because we have these relationships with United We Dream, with Families Belong Together, with the American Friends Committee, um, we just call on them and we're just like, okay, look, so it's time to stand up and do something, right? And luckily, because we are in touch with our members in touch and, and coalition, consistently, we're able to pull the trigger and make these things happen with, with almost a moment's notice. Yeah, and, um, and let's talk about those coalitions, uh, because yeah. 
Look, I'm gonna keep it real. In my experience, hmm. it is hard to put progressive coalitions together. Yeah. Uh, some people are worried about upsetting uh, politicians. Some people have another agenda. Some people don't want to do this or that. So, you guys got what over 50 different uh, groups to sponsor this. Yes. And so, how'd you do that? We work consistently with people throughout the year, right? So, like our coalition work is meeting by meeting, day by day. So it's not like, hey, we're doing something and we haven't been in touch with people. So we've been in coalition with people uh, for years in some cases. So when the call comes, we're already on the same page. So it's not about having to herd cats. Like the cats, <laughs> I heard you mention that you were going to talk about cats. So I couldn't resist that analogy. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the cats are already in line. So we can just like bring them together and, and have them march in line. Uh, well, that's the hard work that goes into organizing that a lot of people yeah. don't see. And so, and then that has the results that it did. So uh, you did the protests. Um, mm -hmm. to, to, we covered it and it looked like a lot of other press covered it, including local news, yeah. which uh, can sometimes have a bigger impact than people realize. Yeah. Uh, were you satisfied with the amount of attention that it got? So we got about over 1500 local news clips, which if anyone who knows about that, sometimes hearing the story in the local media, because it, it's repeated over and over again, has a better effect than it being on national media. Uh, so 1500 clips um, with a six day lead time, uh, in local media across the nation, like that's amazing. Uh, and I think that translates into over $8 million in earned media um, based on simply our members coming together in coalition to stand up against these atrocities. So we're very pleased by that. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about what's next because yep. uh, unfortunately the Democrats did give them a blank check. So, <laughs> so what do we do yeah. next? We continue to keep the pressure on members of Congress. So for those people who say that we can't do anything, we're telling members of Congress, go to a camp. Um, if they don't let you in, so what? Show up and bring bear witness to the situation. I had one of the, I was in Homestead a couple of weeks ago and saw from my own eyes uh, in Homestead, uh, children in lines with orange hats being that are separated from their families. So once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, if grassroots activists can do it, members of Congress can go and bear witness to what's going on. So if you haven't seen it, we're calling on members of Congress to go see it. We're happy that members of the Senate last week went to go see um, camps in a CODEL. Um, not every member of Congress has done that. And if you haven't, we're calling you on you to do it. Yeah, you know, I remember, I think in the beginning of LeBron's career, uh, people mm -hmm. had those shirts that said, I am witness. Yeah. Uh, and so let's witness this. Uh, it, and obviously more important. And look, I just, I think this issue is so important, but that activism overall and showing up to make a difference is even more important. And, Absolutely. and so I, I wanna stay on this for one more minute here, then I wanna talk about what else we could do this for, right? But I, I know that uh, there's a place that people can donate uh, that can make a difference in, in helping these folks. Uh, is there one in particular that you guys are directing people towards? Uh, we, we direct people towards families belong together, towards United We Dream. Um, and local areas have their own uh, immigrant rights groups. Um, I'm not familiar as conversant on the local areas, but I know Families Belong Together is doing a lot of good work nationally, and they are putting people in touch with local organizations as well. And and guys, we're putting up the, the petition there, and we'll give you a full screen mm -hmm. on it too. And, and uh, move on's got a petition on this. And the reason I tell you guys to sign our petitions and other progressive petitions is because the more people that sign it, the more power that it has. And Absolutely. the more and the more politicians 
pay attention to it. So we'll have the link down below if you're watching later on YouTube and Facebook, so you can easily click on it. Um, all right, Reggie, let's talk about what else we can do this with, because I, I think it was a spectacular success. Thank at you. least drawing attention uh, to this issue and, and putting pressure on, on the Democrats, which you can actually affect rather than the Republicans, which are nearly immovable. Um, right. And so what other issues can we do these kind of mass protests with? Well, I wouldn't say the Republicans are immovable. I mean, there are vulnerable Republicans in the Senate that if you show the contrast, so for instance, I'm in Denver, Colorado right now. Cory Gardner um, has a lot to be held accountable for, um, maybe not in a mass protest, but he's up for election, up for re-election this year. So, you know, he has a lot to be accountable for and standing up or not standing up to what Trump has done. Um, move on's been very active in impeachment. You know, um, we've been impressing local members um, who haven't come out yet to stand up for impeachment. And we've been asking our members to pressure members to, to show them support and say that it's okay to hold this president accountable. Um, immigration, you know, we're very strong on, we're very strong on climate justice. We stand strong with um, the Green New Deal Coalition and are in ways to advocate for a better climate future for us all. Um, so the, I think to your point, Jake, it's not just one issue. Like when we all come together, especially as progressives, like we, there are more that there are more things that unite us and divide us, and we need to come together not only in 2019 but in 2020 to make massive change. Reggie, at least one more thing on that. Ryan Grimm recently came out with a book, "We've Got People," and yep. um, it's a great history of progressivism in in basically in my lifetime, and, and all the way up through the current. and And he makes a, a excellent point near the end of the book about Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. That interestingly, the number one thing they're most afraid of are protests. Mm. And the reason for that is because it gives power to the people. And yep. they wanna make sure that you feel hopeless. That's That way a minority of the country can rule over a majority of the country by just having more money. They've yep. got money, we've got people. So have you seen in, in your activism and, and your career, both in politics and outside of it, Mm -hmm. How much of a difference showing up in person can make? It cannot be understated the beauty that creating community has in terms of affecting social change. You know, for better or for worse, you know, technology is a beautiful thing, you know, texts and emails and those sorts of things. But there is no substitute for coming together in community, making your voice heard, not only with respect to issues, but in just saying hello. You know, I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to speak to some UK progressive activists, and they were like, So, how do you all stay focused? How do you all stay? Enlivened. I was like, we call each other, <laughs> we check on each other, like we're actually friends. And so, like, creating community and a sense of wholeness and a sense of community in these issues when times are rough makes it better when times when we when we do come together, make our issues heard, um, and stand together. That's how these things change over time. Community over time with sustained focus and energy will beat money every time. Shout out to Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> that's right, and, and and look, guys. When Sunrise and AOC went to Nancy Pelosi's office, that you know, eighty-five people, hundred people, however many people that it was, right, changed the national conversation about the environment and what politicians can do about it. Because it it, it might not be logical, but humans are social animals, and when yep. they see other human beings in front of them. It makes a much larger impact than hearing that there are a million of people on that totally. side or hearing about polling, right? Chanting, seeing it right? with their and, and that's right, seeing it and hearing it in the chance, etc. 
So join up with Move On, join up with uh, the TYT Army, and we'll all come together. Absolutely. And we've got people, for God's sake, let's use them. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Reggie Hubbard, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for putting together these protests. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Blessings to you. All right. Thank you. All right, when we come back, an amazing story from Lee Fong at The Intercept about how an industry bought off a bunch of grassroots activists to pretend to be outraged African Americans and Native Americans when in fact they were being paid. Amazing story, we'll do that when we return. All right, back on the Young Turks. In the post game, that's for the members, I'm gonna explain the great cat giveaway. It's a fun story and I'm not kidding, community at tyt.com. If you want to get my cat, um, all right. <laughs> but let's uh, uh, have uh, an equal amount of fun with this next story, which is a bit, well, kind of insane and completely believable at the same time. All right. So joining me now is Lee Fong. He's an uh, investigative journalist for The Intercept, and also Matt Johnson, who's a press coordinator for Direct Action Everywhere. Uh, so um, great to have you guys here, Lee. Let me start with you. Um, so I understand there are a lot of uh, African Americans and Native Americans very upset uh, about banning fur. <laughs> so uh, now tell tell me the reality because this is an amazing story that you reported on. Thanks so much for having me. This is really a, a two pronged story. Um, first, it's about the fur industry facing an existential threat from a proposed ban in New York City and California. Uh, there are several municipalities that already ban fur, but these uh, two jurisdictions, the entire state of California and the city of New York, um, could wipe out uh, a significant portion of the U.S. fur industry and really uh, reshape uh, the business. And activists have called attention to the, the brutal conditions in fur farms across the country, and both bans are moving forward. Um, so that's that's part of the story. The other, the other second part of the story is how uh, the fur industry, like many industries, has had to manufacture public outrage over these bans, and they've literally paid protesters to testify, to lobby, um, to advocate against these bans. And this is uh, borrowing a playbook that we've seen from the tobacco industry, the utility industry, uh, the pesticide industry. We've seen these tactics before, but really, in a very vivid way, we exposed. Um, how the fur industry, at least in California, uh, literally paid a number of, of college students and, and lobbyists to pose and um, uh, lobby against this ban. And, and in Sacramento, over the last two months, we've seen a parade of individuals who have identified themselves as environmentalists, as Native American activists, as taxpayer rights ad advocates. Um, they've said that they are simply interested in protecting um, you know the, the rights of, of individuals to own mink coats and, and to buy uh, of fur uh, fur clothing, but at the end of the day, um, they did not disclose that they were secretly being paid by the fur industry to defeat these bans. So you know, I've been talking about Ryan Grimm's book. Uh, We've got people. Uh, Ryan's, of course, also at the Intercept, uh, and and that's the whole premise of it, which is that they have money and we have people, and that's why. Whenever you see corporations talking about grassroots activists on there, say, hey, "Ain't no grassroots activists in favor of corporations. There ain't no grassroots activists in favor of corporate Republicans or or corporate Democrats." I mean, Feinstein couldn't find a volunteer for her life depended on it. But anyway, now Matt, uh, what does Direct Action Everywhere do? And are you guys the ones that caught these fake activists? 
Yeah, so uh, thanks for having us on, Jenk. So yeah, Direct Action Everywhere is a global grassroots animal rights network that's uh, really mobilizing the, the, the genuine grassroots support behind the proposed California fur ban. And uh, yeah, we actually had uh, one of our activists, a loyal TYT fan, Julie Waldrop, who, you know, when these folks started coming in one right after another, after there was, you know, previously very minimal opposition to this to this ban. Um, and suddenly when it started to get serious, suddenly when it, it starts to seem like, wow, this thing might actually pass and that, you know, fur might actually be banned in California, there's suddenly are all these, you know, 20-ish-year-old, you know, college students showing up, and 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 as Lee alluded to, you know, they have all of these, you know, a thousand different reasons why they're throwing up against the wall to to oppose this ban, and you know, one thing leads to another. It's a Google search and some Facebook searches, and they're surprisingly pretty open about it, which which was was really shocking, and you know, a bit of digging later, and we, uh, you know, we're happy to have uh, exposed this whole thing. Yeah, so let, let's talk about some of those strategies because. Uh, I, I found, uh, of course, a lot of it deeply offensive on top of everything else. So uh, the one I found most offensive was uh, that they got this guy, Edwin Lombard, to say that it was an affront to the African American community to not allow fur, because owning a fur coat was, quote, a way of showing we could overcome barriers. And that, and then another uh, person on the pro fur side said, it's part of how African Americans encourage their kids to come out of the slums. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate stuff, Jenkins. I know you know that the TYT audience is very familiar with you know when when the establishment doesn't want to have a substantive conversation about the actual issues at play. They'll throw anything they can up against the wall. They'll use any dirty trick they possibly can. And the one thing they're not they're not wanting to talk about is is the issue itself, is what's happening to these poor animals in the fur industry where animals are just systemically tortured and systemically killed in something that's, that's completely unnecessary. And uh, so they'll, they'll just there's no bottom to how low they're gonna go when, when their financial viability is at stake. So Lee, I just want to add to that that you know this isn't necessarily a new tactic that um, when industry has its back against the wall and they need to fight back and show that they have um, the public at its side uh, in addition to paying for propaganda and political ads many times they will insert um, emotional issues of identity and race to distract from the underlying um, policy discussion and once you kind of polarize the discussion with identity you can um, uh, confuse uh, uh, activists, confuse lawmakers, and and really get uh, a, a regulation or a tax bill off the table, and that's what we're seeing here. Uh, the fur industry in New York City, uh, uh, through a reverend in Harlem, offered uh, two hundred over something like a hundred or two hundred dollars in American Express gift cards, um, and and made these kind of uh, emotional. I think really. Um, uh, Really exploitative arguments, claiming that any opposition to fur products is, is based on racism. Yeah, so I read your story, and and on Facebook uh, they offered a hundred bucks, one hundred fifty, one hundred seventy-five. In that case, the the pastor offered two hundred fifty dollars American Express gift cards, uh, so that people could pretend that they were racially offended by banning fur. Um, so. Lee, that the, that's goes to the question that I was going to ask you about. How often do you think that that this these identity issues get weaponized? Uh, because of course the phenomenon is horrible because it does several different things. One, it, it it's using 
real people's pain to the for the benefit of corporations in the most callous way that you can imagine. And number two, when there are actual racial issues, people minimize them because they go, I can't tell. I mean, everybody says everything's about race. I can't speak to the second part because that's that's a huge, almost a book worthy worth of of a discussion. But I can tell you this happens all the time. I've done previous stories where Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, you know, fearing regulations such as net neutrality and other restrictions on how telecom companies can manipulate the websites and the content that we read on the internet. That they provided huge corporate checks to. Asian American, African American, Latino civil rights groups, uh, groups like the Organization for Chinese Americans, the JACL, the Japanese American Citizens League. And then on behalf of uh, the big telecom industry, these civil rights groups wrote letters uh, to the FCC saying, you know, if you regulate these telecom companies, you're going to hurt Asian Americans or you're going to hurt um, Latino small business owners. You know, it's, it's this kind of injection of race to distract from the reality that. Um, ISPs, internet service providers, didn't want to be regulated, and they wanted to have a free hand to uh, control content and to, and to create um, paid prioritization. Yeah, it reminds me of how the alt right weaponized the Me Too movement, uh, and uh, but overall, they're amateurs compared to the multinational corporations that have been doing this for a long time. And not only do they then pay off some of those groups, uh, they have wall to wall pundits on television who make a ton of money from those corporations. And we'll throw the you know the identity issue out there as a as a fake pretense all the time, thereby cheapening it when it's real, and it's just gross in two different ways because of that. Uh, but Matt, I, w- I want to get back to fur for a second. Um, now they did one other dirty trick. They're then claiming that banning fur is uh, helping the oil companies, and that the <laughs> oil companies are somehow paying activists to ban fur. That, what on God's green earth is that about? That was uh, the most creative one uh, I'd heard of whatsoever. I, when Lee brought that one up to us, I mean, I, I laughed out loud. And I mean, they're trying, they're trying everything they can. You know, they're, they're one excuse after another, after another, after another. And, you know, once again, what they won't say is like, well, let's, let's, let's talk about what's actually happening here. Let's talk about what's actually happening in these farms, the substantive issue, and then try to, to argue the issue itself on its merits. And, and they won't. It's one distraction after another. And, uh, I uh, I do not have any checks coming to me courtesy of the uh, synthetic fur industry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love the idea of like Exxon Mobil's like, let's make sure we ban fur. That's really how we're gonna make a lot of money, okay? No, let's not start wars in the Middle East, which would raise the prices of a product that has a set cost and would just be marginal profit for us. Let's not do that. Instead, let's worry about banning fur. Yeah, very plausible, very likely. Um, anyway, Lee, uh, when when uh, these students, the high school students and the college students were confronted with, hey, did you guys get paid to, to show up here and pretend to be activists? How much did they fight it or were they just like, yeah, I got paid, who cares? A few of the students um, pushed back against the claim. Uh, others readily admitted to it. Um, most of the high school students were the quickest to say, yes, we were paid. Um, but the real damning information just came from the kind of narcissism of Facebook. A number of the students just bragged on Facebook that they said, "Hey, you know, friends, would you like to make a hundred dollars fighting tyranny?" And um, were connecting their classmates and friends to a contract to a consulting firm that was paying them 
um, money to lobby legislators and to testify against the fur ban. So it all came together um, from social media. Um, the students, some of them were very squarely when we were talking to them on Capitol on, on, in Sacramento. Um, but at the end of the day, they kind of uh, aired their own laundry on, on social media. Yeah, uh, I like the guy you quoted at the end of your article too, Lee, where he was like, well, listen, man, and we might have bust people in, but I got to keep a business going. <laughs> so that about summarizes it. All right, everybody check it out at The Intercept. Uh, Lee and Matt, thank you so much for joining Thanks. us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. All right, guys, uh, the fun uh, cat giveaway uh, happens next. If you're a member, stick around. We're going to make fun of the uh, new musical coming out, Cats, and then we're going to transition to an actual discussion of cats. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you why I'm trying to give my cat away and how you guys can get it. So tyt.com slash join to become a member or tyt.com slash trial gets you a free week. Uh, we'll see you right there right after the break.